Tarzos. Did you ever oh get into Tarzos? Gosh. I was big into Tarzos. Yeah, and they were so small and annoying and easy to lose, mm-hmm. and they must be somewhere. You Did know what I mean? them out? They're just sitting in a garage covered in Cheeto 100%, dust. 100%. And I feel like <laughs> someone will open their closet and a thousand mm-hmm. million Tarzos will fall out and crush them. Welcome, diners, to the Big Film Buffet. My name is Jen Fricker, and I'm joined by the golden god, the golden tonsils of pod, Alexi Toliopoulos. You're listening to me and Jen on the Big Film Buffet, baby. (laughs) Yeah, it's a podcast for pop culture fans and people who want to know what to watch. There's so much out there. We've got our main course for you today where we recommend you one Netflix film for this weekend for you to settle into. And Alexi, what do we have? I'm very excited to talk about this film. We're talking about The Mitchells versus The Machines, which is an animated movie that is out on Netflix this weekend. It is our big premiere, and dare I say it, Jen, this, for you and I, is a big one. We are extremely enthusiastic about this movie, and I cannot wait to talk about it. Your digital assistant just got an upgrade. Me, pal. Newest member of the Pound Lab family. We just gave your smartphone arms and legs. This is the next generation of Pal technology. Oh! Aaron, do you have a credit card? I'm a child. Jen, I absolutely love this movie. I'm frothing at the bit. We're talking about The Mitchells versus The Machines. It's a new Sony animated movie that is premiering on Netflix this weekend. It's a fantastic animated film. It kind of takes shape as like this dysfunctional family road trip movie. We've got a young daughter, Katie Mitchell, who's played by... Abby Jacobson from Broad City, an incredible talent. Mm -hmm. And a great vocal performance, Mm. playing this young woman coming of age who is about to go off on her biggest dream ever, which was my biggest dream ever as well, to go to film school and find herself. But she has this dysfunctional family, this conflict with her father, played by Danny McBride, and it takes shape of a road trip of them going out to take her all the way to uni. But meanwhile... We have a robo-apocalypse happening. An AI has gone rogue in a mega corporation that makes phones, smartphones, all that kind of tech stuff that truly is in our world as we live and breathe today. Yeah, it's uh, kind of spearheaded by a Siri-like mm-hmm. entity called PAL, played by Bog Winner. Olivia Colman. <laughs> and for anyone who doesn't know what a bog is, because I just invented the term. Wow, wow, wow. It's a BAFTA. It's an Oscar and it's a Golden Globe. Yeah, there are two G's in a bog. Wow, we got the Golden Globe. Yeah. So Olivia Colman plays Pal, who mm-hmm. basically leads a robot uprising, all the smart things you can think of, vacuums, bloody fans, mm-hmm. bloody phones, Ooh. all turning against humankind and the world just coming to a complete stop. In the middle of this, the Mitchells are kind of trying to figure out who they are as a family, what their family is going to look like mm-hmm. after Abby Jacobson's character goes to college and figuring out these kind of weird, dysfunctional, dynamic relationships within a family and how we are trying to communicate yeah. with our families in a way with love and with compassion and then also trying not to get murdered by robots. I saw this tweet the other day, which was like basically such a perfect summation of this genre mm-hmm. of things turning against the people yeah. that need them. And it was this tweet that was like, love the horror genre that's what if a house was a bitch? <laughs> <laughs> 
Absolutely. I think that you've nailed it here because this movie is absolutely fantastic because it's like this really unique and interesting modern genre hybrid where we've got something like National Lampoon's Vacation, the Chevy Chase movies, which is a road trip with a dysfunctional family at the heart of it that is like kind of like silly, but it's also quite sweet. It finds those tender moments, meets something like Dawn of the Dead mm. or even The Terminator at points. Yeah. Like it finds those two and then finds this like amazing harmonious funny sweet tone throughout all of it which is also completely exciting the action in this movie is incredible Mm. and I would say as well I remember when Spider-Man Into the Spider-Verse came out a couple of years ago and I got to review that and I said and I still believe it to this day and I will go on the record my hand is on a bible and my bible is 1001 movies you must see before you die and I'm putting this in there <laughs> oh shit and I would say that when I saw Spider-Man Into the Spider-Verse which is produced by much of the same team mm. over at Sony Animation I said that this was the biggest leap forward in American animation since the original Toy Story came out mm. and watching this movie it filled me with an immense amount of joy because I was like this is that leap this is where we are now because I think this movie is just so superbly animated and it just looks so beautiful. It comes so much life. There's so much character in every moment of this movie and how it's designed. And I have to say that this is my favorite movie of the year thus far. Yeah, I am 100% with you, Alexi. This is one of my favorite movies of the year so far. Mm -hmm. I feel like as soon as I watched it, all I wanted to do was talk about it with people. There's such a joy to it beyond everything you're saying about the animation, Mm -hmm. which we'll go into. Like, I feel like this is one of these episodes that you need to strap in because we have so much love for so many aspects of this film. For me, I think the central relationship between the father and daughter, I mean, it's everything we've talked about on the pod before, Mm. you know, it's like coming of age. It's about stories with heart. Mm. It's about really well-drawn not like literally for lack of a better word <laughs> yeah. characters but put in this insanely colourful and chaotic world that always seems as cartoonish literally and mm. figuratively as it is based in some sort of reality Yeah, let's get into it Absolutely. let's really dig in because I feel like there's so much we need to get into here let's start with the animation mm-hmm. like you were saying it's from the same team who kind of gave us Spider-Man into the Spider-Verse so if you saw that film you really loved all these combinations of different animation types coming together I feel like you'll really resonate with mm. this film a lot of the film has elements of like internet culture mashing with like traditional animation then it's also something the filmmakers have talked about a lot the characters themselves editing the film as they go so that's a really interesting sweet thing about this movie is that because our lead Katie Mitchell is someone who is like an incredible film fan she's a film buffet of her own damn self (laughs) that so much of her love of film is imbued into this movie kind of like something reminded me a little bit of a movie from a couple of years ago Me and Earl and the Dying Girl in the same way that uses and wields film references to resonate with an audience without being like too self-congratulatory while still being self-aware and so much of this movie has like almost like Lizzie McGuire type 2D animation coming out over the actual film itself so there'll be like 
little sparks coming off people to like imply emotions and stuff yeah or like little emojis popping up in places yeah it kind of remind me of like instagram stories where you can chuck yeah. like gifts on top of photos and things like that yeah. it's really similar like it's self-aware without being self-congratulatory mm. so nowadays kids are terrifying because of their knowledge of the internet yeah. and how versed they are in that visual language so if you are watching it with kids they're going to pick up things mm-hmm. that maybe we're not going to get but yeah. it doesn't feel like it's forced at all it's no. It's very natural. It feels like it's a really fluid language that they're presenting this really great story Mm -hmm. in. It captures so much of this character by having like her visual language become a part of the film's visual language from the outset. And it feels so cohesive. It's used in such a way that creates so much great comedy and so much joy as well. But it just feels like such a unique vision. And I think that this film as well, it is the feature film directorial debut of Mike Rianda, who was a key creative on a fantastic animated TV show called Gravity Falls, which is so much of that same kind of humor of like genre hybridity as well. But instead of like technology, it was almost like a supernatural X-Filesy type show. So it seems like this like really well-rounded developing voice in cinema and connecting now with Phil Lord and Christopher Miller, who are like, execs on the Spider-Man the Spider-Verse movie and have done such amazing stuff like Cloud with a Chance of Meatballs to like bringing out what this is. I really am so happy and enthusiastic about this movie and so thrilled that we're talking about it. Can we talk about one of my favorite set pieces in this movie? Because I think it embodies like the idea of like what these references are. Mm. As the Mitchells, they enter this big American mall and it's very much evoking those feelings of Dawn of the Dead where it's a zombie apocalypse ambush coming around a mall. Spooky, empty malls. I love them. I follow an Instagram account and it's just empty malls. Whoa. And then sometimes you can find these YouTube videos and it's empty malls with mm-hmm. like just music playing Yeah. in these echoey malls and it's my favourite. Oh, <laughs> my lord. Anyway. Uh, you're a freak, dude. Can yeah, I just say that? You'll find it in the show notes, I'm sure. <laughs> but then we've got this mall that's like uninhabited, but then the electronics in this mall start coming along with this howl power mm. and one of the things or should I say a few hundred of the things that come after them hit me so hard in my reference point which was uh, a <laughs> which reference point is disgusting. it's an internal point of me okay <laughs> I'm uniquely have them everyone's got one but they're hard to find and I found mine oh this my movie gosh. found it okay. these Furbies come alive mm. did you ever have a Furby? no I always wanted mm-hmm. a Furby never got one but now in hindsight, I think that was good for me as a person. Yeah, probably. Yeah. You would mm. be a different person with a Furby. Mm. I had a Furby when I was a kid. And this reminded me of a time where I had forgotten about my Furby. I was a teenager loving my life, playing video games and hanging out in detention because I was cool. Whoa. No, I actually never had detention in my life. I've tried to show off and impress Far you. Out. yeah. <laughs> I never hey, man, did you that. already told me you had a Furby. I'm <laughs> very impressed. But I had a Furby and this one day when I was in my room mm. from my closet of where I just chucked it, it had been sitting there for five years, mm-hmm. it started talking. <gasps> it just started talking. What did it say? I think it was just like saying back the words that I taught it back in the day. Oh. So probably Suvlaki, Baklava, stuff like that. <laughs> it reminded me so much of that and then just got me thinking like if Mitchell's versus Machines was in Australia mm-hmm. what would those references be of like things from the yeah. past popular cultures coming to life from the top of my dome I was going to say like Tarzos did you think oh into Tarzos gosh. I was big into Tarzos yeah and they were so small and annoying and easy to lose mm-hmm. and they must be somewhere 
Do you know what I mean? Them out? They're just sitting in a garage covered in Cheeto 100%, dust. 100%. And I feel like <laughs> someone will open their closet and a thousand mm-hmm. million Tarzos will fall out and crush them. Oh. I was feeling like that would be like similar mm-hmm. to the Furby thing. Or did you ever watch Lift Off? It was like an ABC Kids show. Yeah. Because there was a character on it called EC. Mm-hmm. If you're listening, you don't know what it is. Google lift off EC because it has no face. Yes. It was meant to be, in a way, quite progressive. It was a genderless doll. And EC stood for Elizabeth Charlie. Yes. Early 1990s. Yeah. And it was like the most bizarre show. Backpacks would come alive. There would be a place called the Wackadoo Cafe that you could go to. Mm. The lift was a human being with a sentient brain, much like lifts would be in this world. It's so hard to describe as a show. Like, Mm -hmm. I don't actually can't pick a storyline i can just no. see images yeah and it was extremely diverse yeah my god maybe they saw this show because there's lots of animation in that show as well puppets yeah. and stuff okay this is the new title for the episode mitchell versus machine is lift off for an entire new generation yes i love it i love it i love it i just always feel like there was always an ec doll in mm-hmm. proximity wherever i was in childhood i don't think my parents ever bought me one i just remember like at school there was one and it looked real ratty mm-hmm. i think like friends had them and they were always spooky because they just they don't have a face they have no face they have a head you can see a little dimple for a nose and it's got raggy clothes it's like light colored as well so like Mm -hmm. they stain easily and there's nothing more spooky than a stained doll i had two etc dolls i had two why because i had one and then one day i drew a face on it (laughs) i just you had it up you're like (laughs) i need this to have a face i was like i want to change my ec i want a new one and then i was like you know what this is a huge mistake to draw the face on it. My artistic level is not as high as I'm hoping mm. to be as like a five-year-old. Yeah. And I made my parents buy me another EC though because that was less scary than the one that had like, I guess my Salvador Dali style face oh on it. Oh my gosh. I mean, I was like that with my Barbies. I'd be mm. like, I can give a Barbie a haircut and yeah. then would just cut off all his hair and be like, I don't want this. It's <laughs> <laughs> not a Barbie, this, this is, is like a Rugrat Cynthia doll. Exactly. They always look like a Rugrat Cynthia doll. The way the Furbies were rendered felt so real realistic they looked realistic to me and it really reminded me of like the pokemon movie where that was that blending of animation and real life people (laughs) yes live action live action that's (laughs) and i was always blown away with the pokemon movie because it looked exactly how these animated characters would appear in real life but still were animated i guess it's all about bringing texture to things Mm. i think it's what like detective pikachu does so well is like bring those textures i think the mitchells versus the machines does it in a way that's similar brings the textures to life but then like chooses the moments to like go weird with like the details and like bring the world to reality in some points and bring it to fantasy in other points and it's really seamless you go with Mm -hmm. it you don't feel like this big obvious click of like and now they're doing real things and you have those moments where it seems like katie mitchell Mm -hmm. is editing the movie there's these kind of freeze frame jokes which the filmmakers have said are kind of because they loved the freeze frame jokes from the simpsons where it seems like katie mitchell is making a joke about the movie Mm -hmm. as the movie is happening there's so much depth this movie Mm. and i feel like i'm gonna watch it a few more times because i'm still getting my head around a lot of it i think that's the beauty of it coming to netflix right away is that this is a movie i'll be honest i've watched three times already Mm. and there are new jokes there are new things and also like we've got those freeze frame jokes Mm. What are we watching it on? We can literally freaking freeze frame it yeah, and yeah, catch yeah. those jokes. Yeah, it's so true. When I watched it, I felt just excited about 
movies again mm. and like the idea of watching this with people knowing yeah. that other people are watching it i want to talk about it because it is so joyful it's so exciting it's very fresh mm-hmm. like yeah just that visual language but also the story at heart you know like that central relationship between the father and the daughter mm. and i've never seen like a relationship like that told in a film like this yes. if that makes sense that kind of way that like fathers and daughters are so close when you're little and then as you grow older mm. and fears of like what the world will do to your children mm. and women trying to figure out who they are yeah. in the midst of the world and stuff like that can cause this kind of alienation and can cause this kind of conflict and trying to reconcile that for me I just thought it was so beautiful and I wasn't expecting it to resonate so much with me yeah. in a film that is so silly. Yeah. It's such a silly film. I think as we're kind of used to those stories either being like intensely dramatic mm. or being something like Bend It Like Beckham, which is like that kind of like culture clash as well, but also like about more about a coming of age story. It reminds me of something like Inside Out, where we are communicating ideas of feelings and emotions, but this is done in such a unique way because the conflict is in this film it's not just like this global conflict this macro conflict of people versus these machines that is like the global kind of terror that's striking this world Mm. but then the internal conflict of this film is between this father and a daughter and what I think is so superb about it is that this conflict is not like too forces going up against each other filled with like rage or hate Mm. this is much more realistic and grounded in like his family unit where everybody really loves each other everybody really cares for each other the main goal is everybody wants best for each other but those ideas are just slightly in conflict yeah so this is a movie where the central conflict is just communication and i think what's so cool about that is that this like inside out gives children and families like this vocabulary to how to get around those issues that are like mm. so real in everyday life. Like that's something that you and I would have faced in our families all For the time sure. growing up where mm. it's just a, a feeling of love that maybe is just like in conflict with like logistics or reality. Communication styles. Absolutely. Yeah. And so there's like scenes where the young brother is like holding up signs to go, this is how you should talk to dad. And then the mother played by Maya Rudolph is doing like, this is how you should talk to our daughter. And it's like, it's giving us that vocabulary to be able to communicate these complex ideas that maybe kids don't quite understand how to communicate quite yet. I mean, all adults, man, like the comparison you made with um, Inside Out, like, isn't it so lovely that we can mm. give people this language so they can talk about their feelings in the way like, and I remember walking out of that film and being like, oh gosh, I wish I had this film when mm. I was younger, when I was a kid, when I could kind of put words to how I was feeling and feel like that was normalized. Like, I had the same feeling walking out of this. So, like, just on an emotional level, on a storytelling level, like, this movie has so much punch. Mm. The road movie really is one of my favourite genres because it's so much about, like, going on an actual physical journey and also that internal emotional journey. And it's also so relatable. Did you ever go on these, like, big family road trips like this? We used to drive down to Canberra every Easter. To go How to, political. Yeah. <laughs> we were simply fans of democracy. <laughs> no, we were fans of the National Folk Festival. Oh, hell yes, dude. It was very cool. The We'd frickers all... definitely have that folk festival vibe. The 
Furries freaking love folk. <laughs> the Furries right? are a folky folk, okay? Folk, folk, fuck us up. You know what I'm talking about? <laughs> so we would drive down every Easter long weekend, mm-hmm. go to the Folk Music Festival, and wow. it was just an excuse for my parents to get lit for three days. Yes. And me and my teenage <laughs> brother to be like, where are our parents? Oh, there they are, drinking scrumpy. <laughs> What's scrumpy? It's like fortified cider, I think. What? Kind of like how port is fortified wine. Oh, my gosh. Yeah. My dad is a big port guy. Yeah, right, right, right. This is a little detail about my dad mm-hmm. and probably will give you an insight into exactly why I am the why I am. My dad's biggest pleasure in the world is he loves port over strawberries. And that's what he Ooh. does. My dad doesn't drink beer. My dad barely drinks at all. Yeah. He just has poured, poured over strawberries and eats them. My dad is also extremely allergic to strawberries. Oh, my gosh. And my dad was a big tickler. He used to tickle me all the time, but I could never tickle my dad unless he'd had those strawberries and port. <laughs> that would, when his allergic reaction would come around and he could be tickled. So where I see him pop those straws, I'm like, oh, it's bucko. It's tickle time. It's tickle time, daddy. <laughs> <laughs> and that was fairly recently. Oh, that's my gosh. That's a fairly recent realization. That like makes you're so right. It makes so much sense, even though it's completely nonsensical. Yeah, you know, that's I'm exactly a man who you are. Nearing my thirties, who's still cute. My dad's past his sixties, same thing. Still Never stop being cute. Oh, <laughs> actually, it's funny. I went on a road trip with my parents recently for oh, New really? Year's. We drove just a couple hours. And I was so teenaged about it. Mm. It was so funny how you just instantly revert to yeah, who you are when you're 16, time. when you're with your parents for longer than an hour. My parents were just playing like easy listening, mm-hmm. like hits, you we're know what I mean? We're talking Steely Dan. Exactly. We're talking Tom and Shud surf music, stuff like that. Sure. Okay. I don't know what that is, <laughs> but all right. My dad, he was like in a lot of like punk bands and stuff in the 80s. Yo. So he rejects a lot of that. He thinks it's old people music and oh, like mainstream and stuff. So and then when it comes on, like a bit of Whitney Houston or whatever on yeah. the radio, he's like, oh man, like, why do you like this music? And then I've got to be the adult to him. Mm. It's not like I'm a big fan of easy listening, yeah. of smooth tunes, but it's just <laughs> fun. But then and I ended up just putting my headphones in and mm. ignoring him and like having a little sulk. Oh my god! And then we drove down back home the day after New Year's and I was catastrophically hungover. <clears throat> I just put my headphones in and ignored my parents mm. for about two hours and it really made me think of Katie Mitchell when I was watching this. I was like, Absolutely. yeah, yeah, just I don't I want to be in my own world. I don't want to have to engage <laughs> with you. Her world was, you know, film world. Mm-hmm. And my world was just trying not to vomit all over my parents backseat. <laughs> On, like, a comedic level, because, of course, it's from, like, Lord and Miller, mm-hmm. it packs such a punch. Like, the cast is incredible. Just, mm-hmm. like, listing off some of the names on the IMDb page. Like, Olivia Coleman is pal, the AI mm-hmm. home assistant. That goes rogue and starts to take over the entire world. Yeah. We've got a freaking bog winner in that role. A bog winner. We're making it happen. Absolutely. But I think that's, like, one of those things when you're watching these animated movies where you're just like, who is that voice? Mm. Who is is that person and this movie I had it all the way through yeah and then just slowly figuring out who they all are because we've got Abby Jacobson from Broad City, Broad City as the lead yeah Danny McBride who is so so funny I've been loving Danny McBride in The Righteous Gemstones and here he is playing Rick Mitchell the father mm. Absolutely baffled and yeah. bewildered by what's going on. It's such a perfect spot for him. You're right. It's so perfect in this because Danny McBride has like this intense confidence mm. when he's playing a character. And I think he's able to translate that so well to a vocal performance. Then having him completely undercut by like 
not knowing things mm. and not knowing how things work, but still managing to like persevere through them. And he's been able to do that so much in like this kind of like in the past, like a cocky way or a pig headed way. And I think him being able to translate that into a new mode mm. in this vocal performance of being like, it's sweet and it's through kindness, not selfishness. Yep. I've had such a huge love for Danny McBride ever since I first saw him in like the foot fist way yep. when I was a teenager. Yep. And now just being able to see like how he's evolving his career mm. and evolving what he can do with his persona and channeling it in a new way through voice, I was like, holy smoke, this guy is the real deal. Mm. People pay attention to Danny McBride because do you know what I'm tensing, sensing around here? New Sandman? I'm sensing a new <laughs> Sandman. I'm sensing a potential bog winner or oh at least a bog God. nominee, baby. That's oh what I'm God. talking. I also have like absolute side note, but I have such mm-hmm. a soft spot for Danny McBride because one of my exes looked exactly like Oh, <laughs> okay. Danny, if yeah. you're listening. Well, you know. So often there are animated movies where they have these big kind of stunt casts mm-hmm. who are perhaps really great film actors yeah. but cannot bring it for a voice performance. Mm. And I feel like oftentimes people go, well, that person's very funny or that person's very great at characterization. But in a way, if you think about voice performance, you're working with less colours in the yeah. palette. So like, you have to kind of be really deft about vocal performance. And I feel like... It's amazing that there are so many incredible names in this movie, but that's all of these really big comedic names and powers can bring like mm. a level of nuance. And like you were saying with Danny McBride, like we know him as this kind yeah. of overly confident, swaggering guy mm. to, you know, playing this kind of more tender role and still yeah. bringing like a lot of laughs and stuff is great. One of the best performances for me, and it was one of those ones where I was watching a movie and I was like, I know this voice, mm. I'm going to Google it, was Beck Bennett as one of the <gasps> robots playing Eric the Robot. I love Beck Bennett so much. I'm OG YouTube Beck Bennett Yes, fan. me too! Absolutely, I'm a good neighbour boy, dude. If you don't know Beck Bennett, he's a current member of Saturday Night Live mm-hmm. cast and he's just got this big American face. Like, yes. <laughs> and he's, he's like so if Ryan funny. Gosling was a comedian. Yes. Or a comedian. Yes, he's so funny in this mm-hmm. his voice is so striking and particular every single line I was like Bennett's nailed it again yes he's bloody nailed it again while we're hearing like talking about like the characters and cast let's talk a little bit about like the style of how they are designed because I think the characters in this film are so uniquely designed and I think so much of like animated movies they can find like this way where the characters look the same or like blobby it stops being fresh Mm. I think this is a really fresh take on like the actual designs of the characters where there's they feel simultaneously 2D and 3D in a way that feels like cell shading but also feels like caricatures come to life and then are embodied with like really nuanced emotions Mm. where they do feel very cartoonish they don't look like real people they don't resemble like a photorealistic image whatsoever they look closer to cartoons or characters but then through that they're still able to find like this really like nuanced emotions and like make them bring them to life in a way that feels so warm and joyful yet feels quite natural it is freaking stunning i'm stunned (laughs) i'm stunned dude i completely agree i feel like it's the difference between watching a tv cartoon Mm -hmm. and watching like cinematic animation yeah and this is absolutely like cinematic animation there's so much nuance to it there's so much 
detail to the design, but it feels like a wholly original mm. universe full of like very original characters. It's what makes something like this, which would be obviously like unfilmable yeah. <laughs> like, with real people, but makes you so invested in it, makes the stakes feel so real. It is such a feat. And you know what? After the goddamn year we've all had, yeah. just to have a delightful movie that is so joyful without being mm-hmm. saccharine and so well made. Like, it feels like such a treat to watch. We have a huge Pets on Sets moment in this movie. Let's talk about it. Doug the Pug, King of Hollywood. Uh-huh. Doug the Pug, you know him as a famous Instagram pug, correct? Yes. He's got a huge following on Instagram and was the model mm-hmm. for the animation and voice of the character of Mochi, the pug that lives with the Mitchells. Well, let's say Mochi Mitchell, you know? Mochi uh, Mitchell. part of the family or do they just... Inherit a space with the family. You I know? think dogs are part of a family, but they're like a teen. They've got their own life out there that you don't know about. They're not going to share every detail with you. Yes. And Doug the pug is no exception. Yes. He has a life of his own, and he life. is so beautifully translated to the screen. In so animated, his eyes are gorgeously parted in multiple ways, and his Googly. little potato body is just so funny. Yes. Yeah, they've taken the most comedic animal in real life <laughs> and they've translated it into the screen perfectly. He also did all the actual noises, the oh barks, God. the woofs, the sniffs, the snorts. And I do think that is a bit of stunt casting because they could have given that role to your beloved voice actors, okay? Mm-hmm. A lot of voice actors are getting pushed out by this stunt casting. Doug the Pug, Find your lane, dude. Go into voice acting if this is your thing. See, I'm the opposite. I feel like no stories without us. You know what I mean? Wow. If, you, okay. if you're being representing a, a culture mm-hmm. or an animal yeah. <laughs> on screen, then they need to be part of the storytelling. Yeah, absolutely. I agree with you. I've changed my mind, Doug the Pug. It is an honour to have you welcomed into the world of film, not mm. just Instagram. Mm. And I hope to see Doug the Pug in more film roles. It is one of those perfect family movies where on one level you can sit your kids down and watch it mm-hmm. and you'll all have a good time. On the next level, on the second watch, you'll be like, oh, there are heaps of jokes in it yeah. for everyone. On the third watch, you do start getting that like level of craft. I feel like I go from the first watch and then I just start Googling things mm-hmm. and then I want to watch it again. Well, allow me to just say, because I think that this is something rather unique for a family movie where, you know, you usually go, oh, we're watching a family movie, but don't worry, there's a few jokes in there for mum and dad as well. Mm. This movie does something unique where it's like, there is literally jokes for everyone. They're going to be jokes that only the kids get and then they can have the joy of explaining to their parents, go like, here's why that Numa Numa song is funny. Well, actually, that's from my generation. We probably... <laughs> It's close to the parents' generation. But there'll be so many things where it's like, you know, you take joy in explaining the jokes to each other. Because mm. I, I, I'm so enthusiastic about this movie. I think this is like my biggest recommendation of the year so far. Diners, let me tell you this. If you loved this movie as much as Jen and I, there's some more recommendations I'd love to give you guys out there on Netflix to keep on building this beautiful world with animated films. I'm talking about Cloudy with a Chance of Meatballs. This is a movie that I absolutely love. There's so much shared DNA in these two films. That is a Lord and Miller joint as well, directed by them, and it's so overwhelmingly detailed in beautiful animation. I also love a movie called Missing Link, which is a claymation film starring Hugh Jackman, who is on a road trip with the freaking Yeti. 
Ooh. Very fun, cool movie. And then one that I hadn't talked about in a long time, reminded me of quite a bit, Dan Harmon written Monster House, written by Dan Harmon and Rob Schraub, two great comedy writers. And it's like a cool haunted house movie with some deep emotions, but also super weird. And when I told Michael about it, he told me that was one of his most important movies of his lifetime. Wow. Okay, i got to check that one out. I haven't seen it, but I love Dan Harmon. And he's always, obviously, with Rick and Morty, mm-hmm. a king of animation. Absolutely. You absolutely need to get around The Mitchells versus The Machines. It's out on Netflix this weekend. And yeah, if you've just listened to this episode and you've been like, nah, then you don't have a heart, mm. frankly. Frankly, you have no heart, my yeah. dear. This receives my highest recommendation of the year thus far. Mm-hmm. Sames. Sames. That's <laughs> Sames it. Samesies, babes. We're on the same page for this one, Jen and I. So yeah. it's your honor, your duty, your pride, your passion to watch this flick. Don't let us down by not watching this movie. (laughs) Make sure you catch us on Tuesday for our snack episode Mm -hmm. because, as you have heard, we love this movie so much. But I'm really interested in getting to the science of the Mitchells versus the machines. How likely is it that robots could rise up against us? Is Instagram listening to us? Are our smartphones compiling Intel on us to later oh. use. Obviously, <laughs> you and I are dummies, so yeah, like we can't true. answer. I thought we'd get a good friend, a astrophysicist, Ooh. Dr. Matt Adnew, to come by and explain to us whether we have anything to be worried about. Oh my god, we're going to hear about the AI from the AI expert themselves, and that's on Tuesday on the Snack. Subscribe to the Big Film Buffet on Apple Podcasts or wherever you get your podcasts. This episode was hosted by Alexi Toliopoulos and me, Jen Fricker. Produced by Michael Sonnen and New Hasbold. Edited by Jeffrey O'Connor. And executive produced by Tony Broderick and Melanie Marnie.